You're listening to the Digital Void Podcast, a weekly exploration of digital culture, media, technology, and memes, featuring critical conversations with experts at the forefront of our digital moment. My name is Josh Chapdelaine, and my co-host is Dr. Jamie Cohen. Memes are a graphical language. They come in many varieties. The classic, what you see is what you get memes. Think the memes that communicate something visually and mean exactly that. A rabbit with a pancake on its head, for example, is a random image with no embedded meaning, references, or meta text. It just is what it is. Beyond what you see is what you get memes, they are trickier to understand. Memes are created with knowledge of an in-group, they are referential in nature, and intended to be shared. They can be spread amongst friend groups, in small communities, or even globally. But meaning and nuance are tricky to communicate with all five senses. And conversations about memes frequently leave out questions about access for those who are vision impaired. How can we make memes more accessible? And why is it imperative to create a healthier, more resilient internet? Today, Jamie and I dive into memes, algo-speak, and access. If you don't understand algo-speak, don't worry. We'll dive into it in the following conversation. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe to us and leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Your support helps us grow the show and continue to bring these conversations to you each week. Here's this week's conversation. Hey, Josh. So I want to talk to you a little bit about memes. Uh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> it's it's a different branch of memes, and I don't think I want to talk too much about content today as much as I want to talk about why we need to understand memes. I, and I know we come back to meme literacies over and over and over again, but I think we get an occasional pushback from non-meme or non-internet literate folk who say, well, there's a space for memes and there's space for internet studies, but we really don't need it to be part of our daily lives. Arguably, there is no separation any longer. We live in a mixed space. There is no du- digital dualism. We are the same people in space as we are on the internet. We just have different tools and different methods of expressing ourselves. And we're here to demystify those lines. Yeah, and that's exactly what we do here is we demystify it. So one of the things that came up recently is actually pretty interesting to what we do in terms of meme literacies, or at least a branch of it, which is accessibility. I think we need to talk a lot about access, not in just terms of how to read a meme, but access in terms of how to approach memes. And I think it's important because meme culture itself is being used as this like sort of a cudgel for some far right extremism and that we don't want that usurpation of that term because if nobody uses memes like they're serious, eventually they just become meme becomes a meme itself, a reaction to the reaction. You know, it's just forever into the depths of not meaninglessness. But memes at this point are a conversation. They're not just shareable, funny things, but they're part of how we talk to each other. And it's been going on, obviously, for about five or six years where we use memes in group chats and we use memes to share things. So it's important to talk about. So a couple, gosh, oh man, it was back in February. I was on a podcast uh, on CBC Radio in Canada, CBC Spark. And uh, Nora Young, the host, with phenomenal questions about memes and meme literacies. And the show was basically about algo speak which is uh, defined most particularly, most specifically by Taylor Lorenz. And algo-speak is a form of text writing on screen or speaking verbally in order to avoid automated content moderation systems. 
which when we say that out loud, so let me let me break that down first, because that I think is an important factor in how we just deal with memes in general, or at least internet content in general. When we deal with the internet, when we use the internet, we use the content moderated internet. We do not use the raw internet. And I think that's a thing that people don't think about, that when we're using the internet, we're using the filtered version. And thank God, content moderators are underpaid endure severe visual and auditory trauma. They are our front lines between us and the horrors. There's an article out that explained that TikTok content moderators are given horrific footage of abused children to basically train themselves and machines. So they're seeing things that, well, humans probably shouldn't see at scale, and we should really be thankful for them. But I think what's misunderstood of how many humans and machines sit between us and the internet, tens of thousands like literally tens of thousands. I personally know a former student who was looking for a job and was asked by one of the TikTok third-party systems to content moderate, move down to Kansas of all places, and content moderate. And I advised against this. I was like, this might sound good and it might seem like good money. I think it was like $25 an hour. I was like, but you're going to (laughs) see man-made horrors beyond your comprehension. And I was like, and I don't think that's a good idea. But somebody does have to do this. And to be very honest with you, and I think you would agree, I think humans as the interface is better than machines. Yeah, humans are better. And a few years ago, Casey Newton published a piece detailing the horrors of this content moderation at Facebook and how Facebook needed to outsource its content moderation for $15 per hour. Some of the content moderators, unfortunately, resulted in self-harm because of the dangers they were exposed to. It's a very unforgiving and psychologically and sometimes even physically damaging job. Oh, yeah. And it's to know, like, think about how big Facebook is. Let's say there's, you know, almost 2 billion users and let's say one third of them post on the platform. Of that one third, it's potentially, what, five, 900 million people. Let's just say of that, 100 million people are bad actors, <laughs> you know, and they don't mean to be maybe, but they're sharing horror that is like either surface level horror or deep horror. And that means there's got to be tens of thousands of workers who basically see that before it makes it to the page. Now, Zuckerberg appreciates frictionless. We should have a pause. It should have a delay like television, like seven seconds, you know, let, let the system slow it down. Almost everything that's content moderated is AI filtered, machines filter it, everything that's human filtered sometimes gets posted directly to the site before it gets taken down. So it is possible that users do get to see these horrors as well. Humans have to act fast. And the content moderation by machines means, to be clear, so we could explain this before I get into algo speak, that means machines have to be trained. So machine learning means that you have to show a machine advanced levels of horror. So this, this can include gore, This can include pornography. This could include child pornography. This can include anything that's actually has happened. So keep in mind, these are photographs or videos of horror that has happened. You feed into a machine and the machine gets used to the colors, the shapes, the sounds. And eventually when somebody posts this, the machine itself just snips it out. There's major AI companies out there, really good AI companies out there that do this. But what most people don't realize is that each of these tools focus on a different part of content moderation. Sometimes it's words, sometimes it's visuals, sometimes it's blood, sometimes it's just one specific thing. And if your new company, let's say you're starting a new social media company, doesn't have the money to purchase every tool, you have to have human content moderators. And so it is a scaling issue and it is a a way of doing that. So TikTok is very interesting as a platform, as you know, there's ways of going around its content moderation systems, but TikTok has one of the largest AI units in it, of any social media. 
And it's really kind of interesting how it does its work. Because first, its feed is also AI. So it watches videos. So its AI is incredible. It ingests all the video, looks at it, and then decides whether it's good, bad, ugly, whatever, and then also categorizes it into some sort of algorithmic categorization taxonomy system. When you use TikTok, you use it in a way that you're seeing things that it assumes you'd like to see because you've already watched it and comparing it to other people who are similarly like that. Typical algorithm shit. But then there's also the automated system that filters it. And it watches so well. And my students have told me this, that if you give the middle finger on a TikTok, your videos will end up on your page, but never the For You page. And the For You page, the FYP, is the feed. When we talk about TikTok, almost every user uses the For You page. That is the feed, the, the thumb flip page. And the FYP is the feed that opens as soon as you open TikTok. That's correct. Yeah, so the, the, the app, when you open the app, is actually more of a consuming app than it is a social media app where instead of asking you to post or participate, it asks you to watch, which is pretty interesting. Like as in terms of like social media, it's not as social as many social media are. It's just media. So what happened is the automated system kind of became a little too strict. And TikTok's automated AI system started seeing and hearing things that it would filter out. So if it saw a middle finger, it means the machine had been trained to see what middle fingers look like. Then it started hearing words it didn't like. So it believed that, okay, if our user base is 13 through 24, we're talking about juveniles. Juvenile exposure is obviously a big threat. We've got to be careful. So they started filtering out words, some words like sex. Or LGBT. Or LGBT. And so these terms, which is weird, right? Like, why would you filter this? Then you start having to expand it. Why would you filter this? And you think about what is content moderation in general? And it means that while in the US we might hear words that are acceptable, a global social media platform has to be aware of users in other countries. And there are some countries that are far more restrictive in their language, far more authoritarian than the United States. And in order to please everyone, a machine sometimes gets as strict as the lowest common denominator. Unfortunately, that's the nature we live in. When a company isn't big enough to create multiple versions of itself, like Google, uh, so there's different access points for different countries, you ha or, or Apple for that matter, you have to know that there is going to be a level of filtering that is accessible to everyone. So again, back to AlgoSpeak. Users started to figure out, instead of saying things, you could use captioning on the screen. And so they would just blank the words. So instead of saying sex, they wouldn't say it. But on the screen, you would see the word segs, S-E-G-G-S. So segs was like sex. It sounds like sex if you read it, but it's that's how it looked. The machine didn't see that. As a throwback, this is how people in China get around the Great Firewall of China, the automated system that basically filters the internet for them in ways that they use memes to basically go around automated systems. So they, get, they go around like using, you can't see anything that has to do with Tiananmen Square. They don't, they don't like any uprisings or forces or visuals against the government. So young people have figured out how to meme that. They go to gas stations and pump just enough gas so it says... Uh, 4-6-1989, which is 6 4 So you could see that that's the day. So it's like subversive memeing. AlgoSpeak is similar. The, pro the funny part about AlgoSpeak and the funny part about AI is that sometimes it adapts to new things. And one of them is when they you couldn't say lesbian on TikTok. So people would type the word lesbian into the automated system and let the AI read it. It's that classic TikTok AI voice, that digital young woman voice that just reads the script. And the voice said, instead of saying lesbian, they would type out L-E dollar sign B-I-A-N. But the machine would say le dollar bean <laughs> because it couldn't understand that the dollar sign was an S. It would say le dollar bean, like in that AI voice. 
Now humans, us, the users, the social media users adopt that language. So instead of saying lesbian, we will now replace language with its substitute, its content moderated substitute and say la dollar bean. So it, that's what Taylor Lorenz was referring to when she spoke about AlgoSpeak. AlgoSpeak is a form of the English language designed as coded. So we could code language, just like we could code memes. But the problem here is it actually creates a huge access issue that I think we're facing right now in terms of meme culture and aesthetics. When memes no longer are static images and they now exist inside of our social construct. Algo speak is a meme. Is it not? Is it, would you not say that algo speak is mimetic? Like it's shareable, people could read it. It's replicable, remixable. Yeah. And it goes beyond lesbian and lid dollar bean, right? Here are some examples for our audience. Uh, LGBT is commonly referred to as leg booty because of the acronym or how the acronym sounds if you were to pronounce it, right? In order to get around censorship or moderation of vaccination, the term is swimmers, which is also very funny. And one final example is cornucopia, which is often used as a cover for homophobia, which also gets moderated. So this was interesting because we're replacing language with one-to-one -one replacements, sort of like let's go Brandon, very low-level replacements, easy memeing, but it does become cancerous because we do have to worry about the replacement of language in general and how do we keep up and how does language prevent our communication from being fluid. Young people may say words that are <laughs> literally indecipherable to people outside the generation. It's sort of like how memes are, like, what does this image mean? And if you know, you know. But that's not fair. Like, that's just not fair to discourse. And it also makes things really, really difficult for communication between generations and the responsibility of classroom safety, growth, education, in-group communication, and then when, on the worst levels, extremism. When people start using language that is so coded and so hidden that somebody could be planning something in the background that looks or and sounds docile, but is actually coded to be something far more horrific. And as we spoke about, a lot of the way that extremism works is not by telling people to commit violence, but rather do you use the opposite remove their ability to not commit violence, remove their ability to not see things. So that's a weird place. That's the gap. But there's no evidence inside a gap, right? There's no, there's nothing there. So you can't really refer to it. So this, this is great. So this is like, I listened to all this. I was talked about all this. I was like listening to how this would be done. And we, we discussed it. And this is something that's part of meme literacies and how do we incorporate it. And then I got a wonderful email from a listener. And I was like, whoa, somebody listened to this. That's kind of cool in of itself. <laughs> you know, we always like when somebody actually says they're, they're listening to our show. It's great. And the listener wrote and said, hey, what about people who are sight impaired? What about people who have difficulty accessing media just in general? What about people who use screen readers? So I was criticized lightly about the word, a word I kept using, access. And I would say when I was referring to access on the CBC Spark show, I was referring to it as terms of like literally access, like literally just getting to see or hear those memes. That's it. Just having that ability. You, it, it seems like, oh, that's a given. You could just do it. But you, your FYP may never, ever show a video that has algo speak in it because your algorithm might be, but I'll use my friends, for example, woodworking <laughs> and uh, building houses. And so they may never come across an influencer who has used AlgoSpeak. So access to this alone is possibly just hidden in general. So I, I kept using that. And this listener said, but what about access? Like, in other words, I wasn't 
intentionally being ableist in any way, but I was like being exclusionary towards the idea of well, what about people who use screen readers or who use who use sighted machines because they're they're hearing impaired? Like what happens? I mean, we've been done we've been doing a fairly good job with TikToks and captioning. I think most TikTokers who are good TikTokers are aware they should caption their videos for silent viewing. But I don't think we have a good enough on the other side, something known as descriptive text or captioning or alt text that's used in in a in a very valuable way. I happened to get this email from this listener while I was on the study abroad trip in Rome. And one of my students is sight impaired. And Ariana, my student, who's given me permission to say her name, Ariana is sight impaired because she was born with a, uh, a rare condition called aniridia. And aniridia means she, she was born without irises. So there was no color. It was just pupil. And so she, it's very, obviously, it's difficult. You know, she can't see. She has to use corrective lenses. She has She's basically functionally blind, so to speak, uh, fully sight impaired. And she is able to see enough that she could get by on a day-to-day basis. She doesn't use any assisting tools, but she occasionally uses a screen reader because it's, in her opinion, like two different ways of using the internet. She could look at the screen really close. I'm talking like two inches away, or she can listen. And she says one of the problems with alt text, and this is great, great benefit to having a student be able to explain this to me. One of the interesting parts of the internet and why we use alt text is because images are just shapes. You have to think of them as a square. They are a square on the internet. It doesn't matter if it looks like a circle, it's a square. A square on the internet and the data is just its shape. So it's it's pixel size usually. And inside the code, whether you know it or not, if you were to right click and say view page source, you would see a, a HTML tag that says open bracket IMG SRC equals, and it's the name of the image, followed by the second piece of code, alt text equals open quotes, close quotes. That's been there since the internet was, since the World Wide Web was born. Alt text was baked into image source as a code structure. There is, now this is a statistic that's a little low. There's less than 1% of all users of the internet use screen readers. But when you think about that as a total, that is hundreds of thousands of people that need to access the internet through accessible means. And for all of our acceleration through the internet, we've done a decent job of explaining what the images were showing. And then memes. The acceleration of memes comes out And we kind of like fall into this trap that even I fell into, which is this meme won't last too long. So I don't really need to explain it. If you know, you know. If I share it, you're going to get it. (laughs) But in two weeks, nobody's going to be looking at the uh, Little Miss uh, and Mr. memes. And and nobody's looking at the American Girl doll memes anymore. And nobody's looking at the school bus meme anymore. (laughs) And, And by the time this episode is released... People will think that meme is three cycles ago. Exactly. But there's memes we, by the time you're listening to this, there's a new meme that's already being passed around and, and discussed. And if without the alt text, we are leaving out a group of people that only hear a square and can't actually hear the context of this. Now, here's where the, the Ariana expressed to me the importance of understanding why alt text is important. And I'd, I'd like to go into a little bit of what she said to me. She says, I think memes should contain alt text. Memes are such a central part of our culture and have developed into modern political cartoons. The visual impaired should have had the opportunity to experience the comedy that memes provide and engage in the conversations they stimulate. For this reason, without memes, the visually impaired would miss out on a big part of what's happening within society. I'm going to bold that. This is why alt text should be included in memes, but should be descriptive as possible. Besides, having an extra tool in the toolbox never hurt. And I think that's really important for her to say, because I think that's important for us as me in meme literacies and something that we should add into our toolbox, which is descriptive text. 
So she goes, as previously stated, it's hard to describe something to someone who's never seen color or shapes. So for example, if we're describing a meme with a sunny day, it might be better to say a warm day as opposed to the bright sun. Someone who is born completely blind might understand the feeling of the sun warmth against their skin, which helps them visualize the color from what others have told them. But they might not picture the sun with rays. It's about providing context, being descriptive, putting yourself in that person's shoes and taking the other senses into account. What a beautiful statement, because that is something that I'm glad we're at this time in history because we could have this discussion. We could actually talk about it, but it doesn't just benefit the sight impaired. It helps us be better readers of the internet. It helps us start to understand how to take a concept like algo speak, which is a verbal tick that is very visually textual, and turn it into something to explain it. How do we break that down? There was a phenomenal podcast, which is archived now, and you should go listen to it, called Say My Meme. And it was about descriptive text. How do you take a meme and describe it? How would you describe a meme? So when I do alt text, now I'm starting to think about like, okay, so I post this image. How do I describe this image? What elements in this do I have to add in order to make it make sense to someone who's only using a screen reader? And then think about the levels of sight impairment that I must access from sight impairment, someone who could see color and and see enough context to understand what those are to someone who's never actually seen a color and has to be described what that might mean. And so then (laughs) becomes a further issue of the internet, which is on a website, alt text can be as long as you want it to be. It's unlimited. But on social media, it's actually part of the metadata. On Twitter, you could do alt text, and there is 1,000 character limits. So 1,000 character limit might be like, oh, I, I, you know, it's not too bad. But really, it's four tweets. That's how long that limit is, you know? And then Medium, and the site in which I was writing about this, has a 500 character limit. 500 characters? To me, that's like ridiculous. How do you explain something? Right. How do you explain a concept like vaporwave or fashwave in 500 characters or fewer? It's impossible. 100%. Exactly. This is where things get go awry. There's two things. There's two branches to this that have gone awry recently. Let's let's start with the fashion wave one, the aesthetic. As memes have become aestheticized in terms of the way we read them, they're no longer mimetic one-to-ones. Like, here's the doge. It looks like a funny image. Here's a picture of two people on a bus. One's facing a wall. One's facing the sun. Uh, the one facing the sun has a better thought. The one facing the wall has a darker thought. You could repeat this. Or even a what you see is what you get meme with a rabbit with a pancake on its head. Right, exactly. So, this is sorry. Can't understand what you're saying. Here's a rabbit with a pancake on its head. And the image shows a rabbit with a pancake on its head. So those are fairly easy to describe. When you get to nuanced memes, how do you help somebody access that through? And the meme that I return to on a consistent basis is a picture. It's a photograph of dead plants. So this is the description. You see this image and it's a photograph of dead plants. They're sitting on a shelf. Underneath that is a caption that says water those in capitals and impact font. That meme is about shoes. (laughs) But how would somebody, but how would somebody who's detached from its nuance understand it because all they're getting is the descriptive text. So the descriptive text should include, these are a picture of dead plants sitting on a shelf with the impact font, what are those? What are those should be sounded out as what are those instead of saying what are those? So draw out the what are those? Because what are those is the sound that's made on the vine that is the meme about shoes. 
which became a, a meme that later went into the movie Black Panther. So it does tell you that descriptive text has limitations even by its explanation. It doesn't explain the nuance. It doesn't explain what happens with this. So now you brought up Fash Wave, <laughs> which we've talked about. How the hell <laughs> are you going to be able to describe Fash Wave to a sight-impaired user or somebody using a screen reader? Especially when the nuance is maybe five to ten layers deep and potentially a decade of internet paraphernalia, internet esoteric nature that has to be put together to get the meaning of this. Where AlgoSpeak avoids content moderation, FastWave also avoids content moderation by AI too. Content moderation can't actually see FastWave as something bannable because it doesn't have intent to cause harm. It's aesthetically pleasing. The symbology is protected by the First Amendment. So you could post a, a low-res 1980s pixelated image of a Sonnen rad over pixelated cliffs and walls in very bright hot pink and hot green. And the content moderation won't filter that. It will appear on screen. So now you let's let's describe it. You're looking at an image. It looks like a grid laying about 45 degrees. It's laying out into the distance as if we're looking into a horizon. There are mountains on the side made of pixels and lines. They're thin lines. They're orange. And we sort of get a gradient from an orange to a purple as we start from the top to the bottom. Where the sun, the warm light in the center, should be coming from is replaced with the image of a sonorad, sonorad, which is a Nazi symbol, a circular image, with a lot of different jagged lines to show a symbolic nature of a deep neo-Nazi belief of exclusion. Okay, that's the description. What does that mean? So in the description then has to include, this meme is shared primarily among those who follow neo-fascist or neo-Nazi beliefs and feel as though this image, the, the icon of the Sonnenrad, means something to them and their belief system. That the Sonnenrad is a way of having in-group speech to talk about exclusion, to talk about uh, racism or anti-immigration status inside of this meme. Well, this meme is pleasing to a user because it is colorful and seems nicely downloadable. It also contains a handful of energy that is neo-fascist in its structure. Do you believe that platforms deliberately limit alt text character limits in order to prevent the messiness associated with descriptions that would reveal the true nature of this communication and that labeling this or enabling the alt text would be saying the quiet part out loud about what these systems were designed to do? Wow, that is a great question. I never even thought of that. Uh, <laughs> ooh, okay, so I, <laughs> I think there's two answers to this. I think there's a technical answer and a cultural answer. Uh, from a tech standpoint, I think the limitations on the alt text has to do with shareability and file size. A meme, I'm not a meme, a tweet, a post does have a limitation because the way social media has to store these these files. So I think the alt text is extra text inside of this. So when your tweet is, and here comes the, the, the caveat here, when the tweet is 240 characters, technically, if you wanted to push the boundaries, the alt text increases your tweet fivefold. So it actually adds to it. So this is where, to, to branch off of that question, there's been a fault inside of Twitter that's been noticed, which is bad actors have been using the alt text to do exactly that, not describe the image, but rather put in extra information that is harmful, damaging, meaningless, and or links. They've been adding links. They've been adding things in there. So do social media understand that? I don't know. I'm going to go back to uh, Ariana's 
response here because she I asked her about that. What I asked her a question saying, what happens when you use a reader and the alt text isn't descriptive? What happens when you actually go and, see, and hear an image and somebody's sharing it and, be, and it, the caption of the tweet just simply says, me. <laughs> so me is the tweet. And underneath me is an image. And that image is a meme. And that meme should be described in a way that makes sense. So it's in that, let's say it's me. And it's just a picture of a rabbit with a pancake on its head. Okay, so that's me. Now I said, what happens when somebody uses the alt text though to misdescribe that? And she writes, I think there's definitely a harm or misuse with alt text. Any technology comes with a double-edged sword. Alt text can be misused for captions, with links, or trolling. This is where I think education, both for the able-bodied and the disabled, and monitoring is key. However, I don't think that that should prevent us from implementing alt text. Simply, we must be more cautious in developing it, because everything and think about everything possible into that consideration. A visually impaired person may fall victim to trolling attempts from this, rather than being able, rather than. The vil- uh, let me write that again. Listen again. A visually impaired person may fall victim to trolling attempts from this tactic rather than somebody who is an able-bodied person. And she said, personally, I could see myself accidentally clicking on a harmful link by accident after my placing my whole trust in alt text. So it's, it is interesting because we don't think about that the vulnerability there isn't just for sight-impaired folk, but anybody. That is a vulnerability that we never really took into consideration with the extra data inside of this information. Bad actors can use this technique. And, and we were just at the beginning of thinking this through. So what I'd like to, <laughs> so what I, I'd like to think about, <laughs> what I'd like to think about is when we're talking, when you bring back to Fashwave and we're talking about any of these type of aesthetics memes, when the meme is being lifted outside of a one-to-one, let's go brand an easy translatable meme, it becomes something that is now a mood or a vibe, so to speak. Now, we're entering, I would say, this is an educated guess from Digital Void. Um, I think we could do this. I believe that the 2020s are going to see more extra visual memes as we go through the decade. And what I mean by that is the term, we're seeing a vibe shift. What does that mean? That means that we're, we're seeing energy become memetic. That's what we're seeing. And that means, again, back to Lamore Schiffman's definition, a meme is something that's replicable, remixable, and shareable. So when you start doing Fashion, for example, is mimetic. You know, so that's not a meme, so to speak, of a digital meme. She's speaking particularly about internet memes, not particularly about cultural memes. But as we spent that time inside during COVID, users had figured out how to migrate moods and vibes and feelings into these things. That's why Fashwave had a big rise during the COVID period. And that's because you can code larger concepts like neo-fascist tendencies or neo-Nazi tendencies directly into aesthetics. The descriptive text on that would be book size. <laughs> so many. So when while AI isn't filtering this, human content moderators aren't filtering this. Uh, White Boy Summer, which came out during COVID pause, wasn't distinctly racist. It was something that was used by someone who was misunderstanding of how that works. And then it became an actual mood and energetic, causing people to actually cause harm in physical space because they were applying the meme to the action. And so if we're using a reader, a computer reader, and we're going down and, it, and we come across a white boy summer meme, how do you make that make sense? How do you put that in the context of somebody making a comprehension to that? And, and so where does that lead us with meme literacies? Right. 
what are the dangers of leaving significant amounts of people out of the conversation or unable to access or interface with this information? Millions of people in the United States alone and way more than that around the world, just culturally unaware or unable to access. Access isn't just about the sight, the sight impaired folk. Access is about parents. Access is about children. Access is about who has the gulf between comprehension and clarity. And if parents, parents, I think, and just people who don't feel like the internet is part of their daily lives, don't think of me seriously anyway. This has been our, this has been our work. We've been doing this for quite some time to help people demystify these cultural objects. And it isn't about the, I know, even when I give talks on memes and, and do this, I see that the eyes glaze over. And people be like, well, this isn't for me. This doesn't make sense to me. But to young people, this isn't a translatable issue anymore. They're, it's just fluency. There's a distinct mimetic fluency that young people are using and potentially being abused by people who are ultra-fluent. And when I say ultra-fluent, I mean people who are bad actors, who are not only aware, uh, we've spoken about this before, not only aware of how what FashWave is, but also know how to re-encode it in such ways that they know how to use that to inspire acts of kinetic energy or help point people in directions of learning more or throwing them deeper down the rabbit hole. As I pointed out in one presentation, that aesthetic design and in-group codification result in style and mood. In other words, in-group codification, a small group of people who are advancing a meme, like a fast wave meme. So you have this original Sonnenrad over the horizon. Now you replace that with something even more dangerous, something like the Statue of Liberty glitching out uh, with text over it that says uh, the lone wolf proceeds or something. Now, none of these words or images seem dangerous, but in the context of Fashwave are extremely dangerous. They are an action aesthetic. They are designed specifically to inspire someone to do something with that. And if you've been burdened by this enough, if you don't think memes are important, you're just simply going to continue to write them off. Oh, it's just a rabbit with a pancake on its head. You're going to see that as something distinctly separate than an everyday life when young people are exposed to this all the time. And I'm often asked, how do you know when a meme is going to radicalize somebody? How do you know when a meme is going to do something that causes harm? And I said, that's an impossible question to answer because it's context, holistic context. When you see a meme or a researcher sees a meme, they're seeing it in the context of research. But when a user sees a meme, they're seeing it in the context of consumption of media, possibly one of a thousand images they'll see that day. So it might not be anything that's going to cause them to absorb that or cause them to decide to change their day or radicalize or fall down a rabbit hole. The context matters. On the other hand, what they may be seeing and not knowing how bad it is are anti-trans memes, uh, anti-Semitic memes, caricatures of Jewish people. These may seem like they're mimetic, but those memes are radicalized. Those memes in particular, when you were to describe them, you would have a difficult time not explaining how racist they are. Their alt text has to include racism because otherwise they don't work. <laughs> so that I think is where, why alt text is sometimes not used is because that description alone could educate in such a way that it would actually cause the de-radicalization process. <laughs> so it's unused. So it is, alt text and accessibility are actually part of the internet that we do not think enough about in terms of how to describe Meaning, culture, danger, kinetic energy, and aesthetics all in one shareable square. It feels like in a lot of ways, making memes more accessible helps us overcome the evolution from the original memes. What you see is what you get 
to the mimetic landscape that we find ourselves in today, which is what you can't see is what you get. The antidote to this is accessibility. Mm -hmm. That is. If we were to truly treat the internet responsibly and read images like we read text, so let's go right back to media literacy and why media literacy should incorporate internet and meme literacies. If you were to truly incorporate all these literacies directly into it, yeah, we'd have a better understanding of the internet as a textual piece of media. And it would make the internet more media than it isn't because the internet is arguably not a media literacy because the way it operates is technical, but it is in terms of its content, but only in the context of understanding and comprehension. And I know this sounds high academic and, and difficult to even absorb, but the better we are, as we've, as we've always talked about and continue to inspire, it will make us better talking to our children. It'll make us better at talking to our students. It'll make us better as talking to our nieces and nephews and our cousins and anyone who absorbs this information differently than we do. And I think this is a fantastic place to leave off and a great conversation to have. We'd value your feedback on how to make memes more accessible. So please write to hello at digitalvoid.media or to any of us on social media. We are primarily on Twitter and LinkedIn. And let us know what you think about how we can help make memes more accessible. Thanks for joining us this week. To learn more about Digital Void, including our upcoming events, workshops, and interactive projects, you can visit us on the web at digitalvoid.media. We'll be back next week. Until then, stay safe, and we'll see you soon. And so we might say this is an experience of the void.